History will teach you very, very important things about yourself, about the world, and that's what you need if you're going to be successful in the future. And history will certainly teach us all that nothing lasts forever, not even the United States of America. Welcome back to the Empire's New Clothes. This is where we discuss the forces that make and break empires. I'm your host, Bradford MacArthur. We're about to dial up Jim Rogers. He's a famed investor. He, decades ago, co-founded a hedge fund with George Soros. They beat the markets by over 4,000%. Pretty wild. Uh, At 37, he retired and continued to invest personally, but also began traveling the world and writing. And so we catch up to him now, years later, he's since moved to Singapore in 2007 because he believes the next century is an Asian century. So we discuss some of his background, but we really dive into China and what does it look like uh, when we're looking at the years ahead. Jim, welcome. Thanks for uh, coming on the show with us today. Well, I'm delighted to be here. It sounds like a very interesting project. Yeah, we spend a lot of time looking at what make and break empires, and you have a very storied career. And for some of the folks who might not be familiar, would you mind walking us through a little bit of your background uh, in investing, but also you've got some pretty interesting stories yourself over in, uh, in Asia and all over the world. Well, I grew up in a very small backwoods town in Alabama. I went off to university in the Northeast, and I went to university in England for a while. After, Eventually, I got to Wall Street, um, had a successful career for 10 or 12 years. I retired when I was 37 in 1980 because I wanted to have more than one life. I very much wanted to have a life with adventure if I could. So I went around the world on a motorcycle. I went around the world in a car, I've written a few books about some of my adventures and trips, had some TV shows. About 15 years ago in 2007, I moved to Singapore because I I, I finally had a child. I wanted her to know Asia and to speak Mandarin. And Mandarin is going, Chinese is going to be the most important language in her lifetime. So we moved to Singapore so my, I now have two daughters, so my daughters would know Asia and would speak Mandarin, and here I am. Had no job for over 40 years. Wow. Well, I'm 34, so you're saying I got three years till retirement. Get on with it. Get on with <laughs> it. Yes. So uh, I'd love to dive into um, your thoughts in Asia and China, but before that, you've had some incredible foresight throughout your career, and so I would love to know what is a real macro framework in which you see the, say, the political, but also especially the investment world, and and which helps you see these big macro shifts. I often speak at universities, and they always say to me, "Well, what should we study? We want to be like you." And I say, well, you should study history and philosophy. They say, no, no, we want to be rich. And I say, if you want to be rich, you need to understand the world. Well, first, philosophy will teach you to think, which is very, very hard, and to question. Uh, But you need to understand history because everything that has happened has happened before and will happen again. 
And if you can understand history, you will see that the world is always changing. And you need to understand that if you want to be successful at investing or anything, you know, music, write anything. Uh, and so you need to understand that everything we think in any year is not going to be accurate 15 years later. And you can pick any year in history, any year, 2000. Well, the world was very, very different in 2015. Just pick any year. You'll see that 15 years later, everything had changed. So history will teach you very, very important things about yourself, about the world. And that's what you need if you're going to be successful in the future. And history will certainly teach us all that nothing lasts forever. Not even the United States of America uh, will last forever. Uh, no currency has been on top for more than 100, 150 years. The world's had many international currencies uh, in the past. The world's had many things, technologies, etc. They have all moved on and changed to something else. And if you want to be, well, if you want to be successful, you need to know that. And then you need to figure out what the new change will be, and then you'll be very successful. And by the way, when you figure it out, please send me an email so I can do some research too. <laughs> Sounds good. Well, but this time's different though, so I don't think we have to mm -hmm. worry about that. Well, those are the most dangerous words, uh, <laughs> in, certainly in the investment world and in any world, in fact, because it's not ever different. Uh, so if you're investing and you hear someone say, oh, this time it's different, take your money and put it somewhere else. <laughs> <laughs> did, so did you did you either realize this or study those things early on or is this something in hindsight you've spent time thought and looked back at your life well I really like studying history at, at university and it began to make me realize oh gosh you know in 1910 1912 the British and German royal families were great friends, intermarrying, vacationing together, having parties and dances and everything else. You know, and a couple of years later, they were slaughtering each other for, for what we now know were pretty absurd reasons, but it was happening. And then everything we, they thought, totally changed. That's one of the first things I remember realizing from my studies of history, but it's it's, it is something that I have noticed over the years. I have no idea if and when a light bulb ever went off, but it is certainly something that has been confirmed to me many times. Hmm. It's a very interesting, um, uh, I suppose, observation during that time. Did you, I've never quite thought about it exactly along those lines of super entwined and then at war uh, during those years. Did did that observation, did you ever look back on that during some time in your life? And you're like, oh, I should take note of this particular event might not last forever. What seems to be concrete and set in stone now? Oh, every day. Every day. Always. <laughs> yes, it doesn't matter what it is. It does not matter what it is. Uh, I question, and I'm trying to teach my children to question everything. And to think for themselves, it's hard to think for yourself. It's hard to question everything. If you're on the Internet and they say the sky is blue, 
I say to them, go and look out the window. Let's see if the sky is blue. Just because somebody tells you the sky is blue doesn't mean it's blue, even if it's on the Internet or the TV or the newspaper. So kind of on that note, you've said before, 1807 moved to London, 1907 moved to New York City, 2007 moved to Asia, and that's what you did. And my question is, if this next century is an Asian century or the century of China, is it more a story of an American failure to maintain its empire or is this the rhythm of history swinging as it always has? Well, I think we'll look back in a few hundred years and know it was the rhythm of history swinging as it always <laughs> has. Uh, I mean, it's a little early. This is, you know, 2021 for us yeah. to give definitive answers. But uh, there, was a, there was a great story. I don't know if it's true or not. Um, in 1969, 1969, I don't know, you, you wouldn't remember, but there were great riots in France and it was, the whole country was falling apart. And somebody said to Mao Zedong, the dictator in China, he said, they were talking about whatever they were talking about, the world or history. And they said uh, to Mao Zedong, well, well what, uh, what do you think of the French Revolution, which had happened in 1789, uh, that, the real French Revolution? And Mao Zedong's answer was, it's too soon to know. And, and the Chinese have a long view of history and life and events in the world. It is said that the Chinese don't think in terms of decades or even centuries. They think about centuries. They think in the terms of very, very long time periods. I remember during the Vietnamese War, one of the things that was said and probably accurately was the Chinese are not in this for this decade. They're in this for the century. Hmm. And you know the result. I mean, China, you know the result of the Vietnamese War anyway whether it was China or Vietnam or who, the U.S. did not win that war. Shouldn't have been there in the first place, uh, but we were trying to change history, and it's hard to change history. In America, we recently had a president who I don't think knew, knew history or knows history, and, but even if he does know history, he, he doesn't understand history, and he thinks he's smarter than history. He thinks he can control history. Well, I know that history is smarter than I am. I know I better learn. One of the most important lessons I have learned, Bradford, over the years is that people do not learn the lessons of history. If you think about it and study and read, you might learn from history, but most people, even if they know history, do not learn the lessons of history. What so? And to answer your question, the world is moving on, and <laughs> this is not 1921. This is 2021, and everything we knew in 2021 has changed and is going to change dramatically. So, what's what's a great lesson of history that the collective? conscience of America right now could do well to ponder over? Well, no country has lasted on top. No currency, since the American dollar is very much uh, a part of America, and America's uh, 
power, if you will, now. Uh, that is in the process of change. I mean, most most Americans don't know you can buy and sell the U.S. dollar. Don't know they don't know it's an international currency, but it is in the process of losing its status, which also means that the U.S. is in the process of losing its status. I don't particularly like saying this, but as I say, I have learned how. To, I hope I've learned how the world works, and the U.S. is in the process of peaking and going into decline. I moved to Asia in 19, sorry, 2007 because the future, the 21st century and the future is now Asia again. By the way, China, which you mentioned before, China is the only country in world history that's had recurring periods of greatness. Great Britain was great once, Rome was great once, Egypt was great once. But China has been great three or four times, they've been the absolute top three or four times in history. They've also collapsed. Total catastrophe three or four times in history. But they're the only country in history that somehow, after decades or centuries, has turned around and risen to the top again. And it seems to be happening again. I don't know if they'll be on top in the 24th century, but I'm trying to prepare my children for the 21st century. Certainly. Well, the... The political party in China is not shy about that either. They are, they are putting out, um, they're publishing statements. It's very clear of of saying exactly that. That you know what, we've been the dominant empire for centuries. This last century was a lull. You know, this was uh, tongue in cheek. It was a gap year. We. But we're, we're coming back, and, and they're very clear about their intentions. They intend to be the dominant empire. They're, they're not hiding that. And when I look at, you mentioned some of the other empires, the Dutch Empire, the British, the U.S., and perhaps we're going to see uh, a Chinese empire. I, Not to down-talk them, but there is an element of hubris involved in being a dominant empire and having... In the term that we think of now is this American exceptionalism and this um, this sort of divine. There's, there's a bunch of terms that kind of go along with this concept of that um, America is is destined to be great, and that's defined a lot of the identity of Americans and uh, the nation for so long. Do you see some of that in China in the way that they speak about their past and also where they want to be in the future? Well, it's interesting. I, I, I do not, and maybe it's translation, I do not hear the Chinese talking about empire. It's been rare in history that the Chinese have had an empire. In the West, we've had empires, uh, the Romans, many people, the British. Uh, but I do not remember the, British, the Chinese talking in the terms of empire. They do talk in terms of being successful uh, on top. They've certainly said that. And, I mean, everybody, I mean, if you go to the U.S., every state in the U.S. has a governor who insists that my state is going to be the best. We're going to yeah. be on top. Some, some states stand out more than others. <laughs> yeah, well, and they send delegations to other countries and say, come and trade with us and invest here because we're going to be the dominant state. So everybody and many countries, many countries want success and try to attract investment and expertise to their country. 
the Chinese, Deng Xiaoping was the guy who in the late 70s said, hey, we got to try something new. This is not working. You know, Mao Zedong had even put him in jail at one point, even though he was an ally of Mao Zedong. Uh, he said, when you open the window, you're going to get flies, but you're also going to get sunshine and fresh air. So let's open the window. It doesn't matter to me if it's a black cat or a white cat as long as it catches mice. I mean, the guy was a genius and extremely brave because very few people in history have taken the, what many people would consider huge risks that he took. And he said, okay, we're going to change completely. Mao Zedong is dead and we're going to open the country to the outside world and we're going to develop our economy, our society, etc. And he did so. Well, you know the rest of the story. China became the most successful country in the world for a while there. Still is extremely successful. Doesn't mean there won't be problems. America was the most successful country in the 20th century. But my goodness, we had problems along the way. Civil war, depressions, riots in the streets, you could buy and sell. You could buy and sell congressmen. Well, you could all. You could still buy and sell congressmen, but in those days they were cheap. Everybody was buying and selling a few congressmen. And and um, people it was a mess. And people, yeah, well, and people too. There was slavery, in fact. But even after slavery, after slavery was when it became more common to buy and sell congressmen. Mm-hmm. And America, despite all those problems, became extremely successful. China's going is having problems. It will have more problems as they develop. Um, We go through periods in history when countries close off. Deng Xiaoping insisted that everybody open up, and his successors were the same. Uh, They were very, very aware of the rest of the world. You know, there was a guy named Jack Ma who was an English teacher, a Chinese English teacher. He went off to California to practice English, and he learned about the Internet. And he came back and built one of the most successful countries, uh, companies in the world called Alibaba. Uh, that's all because he happened to be sitting around in California while all these crazy people were doing crazy things. And he learned from them. Uh, and China has exploded because of the opening to the outside world. It may be closing off again, and that usually leads to problems in history. Uh, but as, to repeat, every country that has grown has had periods of decline and problems, such as the United States. China was China is going to have bankruptcies now, which is going to surprise a lot of people. It's going to surprise me, and I just told you it's coming. The Chinese, <laughs> at least China knows they need to let people go bankrupt. In America, we don't let people go bankrupt anymore. We're too strong for that. We're too powerful. You know, no, no, no. Nobody can fail. That's not the way the system is supposed to work or ever has. The Chinese seem to know that, and they seem to be developing. There will be problems. They have problems now. Uh, But I don't think you're going to see the Chinese go to war. Well, that's a difficult statement because there has always been war and there probably always will be war uh, in the future. But the Chinese throughout their history do not have many international wars. If you look at the West, history is full of international wars. 
the Chinese have slaughtered each other at times in history, but you don't see the Chinese riding off to invade Brazil or many other countries uh, throughout their history. So it certainly can happen and it probably will happen because history also shows that when you have a dominant power which is stagnant or in decline, there's often a rising power and those powers often clash. They don't have to and they don't always. They can work together. For the past 40 years, America and China worked together and both had great success. But history does show that they often have clashed uh, and it's, it makes sense that they would clash. History also shows that when things start going wrong in a society or a country, the, the easy way for the politicians is to blame the foreigners. Foreigners have different language, different skin, different clothes, different food, different different everything. And it's very easy to blame the foreigners. I cannot tell you how many times I've heard people say, oh, and they smell bad when they're talking about foreigners. And the food <laughs> smells bad. I cannot tell you how many times I've heard people saying the food smells bad as, as well. Does Canadian food smell bad? I, I mean, don't after a couple of days, but... Well, anyway, it's easy for people to be anti-foreigner and to raise issues about foreigners. Then you don't have to take the blame yourself. uh, And that has always happened. I I would hope that China and America and everybody will continue to have prosper, prosper to, to continue to prosper together. But history is very clear that when things start going wrong, you blame the foreigners. And that has often led to trade wars, trade problems, and sometimes led to shooting wars as well. Yeah, it's definitely a time to be aware and cautious. As you say, history has shown us many times. It's, it seems like more often than not, unfortunately, when there's a declining power and a rising power. But I think as you pointed out, where China has not been as confrontational internationally, um, that, that's actually a really wonderful point that I think is, is worth um, pondering over. Whereas the U.S., I don't think we could really say that about the U.S. But I think what is interesting, though, um, kind of further on that point, is we've been talking about, we've mentioned some of the historical empires, and the U.S. is really one of the first ones that was a global empire, but not having its flag planted in every landmass. It it was global in its economic sense and setting kind of that rule of law almost of the Marshall Plan in Europe and like, this is how we're going to play the game, everybody. And I wonder if... We're doing a lot of what us here, but if we transition to an Asian century, I wonder what the Chinese empire might look like. Would it be a traditional empire we've always had in history where you kind of, it's it's your land? Or would it be more the American, a more modern empire version where the control is more economic and currency and, and um, a soft soft empire, we could almost say? Well, I want to go back. The, the U.S. has troops stationed in over 100 countries around the world. Most certainly. You say we, you say we don't tell people what to do. 
but uh, but I'm, I'm making the, the distinction between, say, when the Spaniards colonized vast swaths or the British were like, this is India's ours and these places are ours, as opposed to the U.S. hasn't necessarily said that, though we are quick to dispose of leaders in countries we don't appreciate. It, it is a different, it is a slightly different form of an empire. More shady, perhaps, well, you could almost say. <laughs> yes, in Canada, they, they saluted the queen or the king, depending on the, the time. Yeah. Uh, the U.S. does not have people salute the president, I don't think, <laughs> not, uh, not consciously anyway. But I will tell you a, a story because just into what you're saying. As you know, the U.S. has 30,000 troops stationed in Korea, South Korea, um, and it's the only place in the world that the U.S. can have troops on the Russian border and the Chinese border. And that's why the, the Pentagon does not want the troops to leave. Russia wants an open border. China wants it. South Korea wants it. Mm. North Korea wants it. Japan does not. Japan cannot compete with an open China, uh, an open Korea, and they know it. But the American army does not want to leave. And will not. That's why, you know, Trump thought, oh, I'm going to win the Nobel Peace Prize, blah, blah. Well, the Pentagon said, no, we're not leaving. Slow down. Calm down. I was in uh, South Korea sometime two, three years ago, uh, making a speech. Well, it doesn't matter. And I was talking to a, gov, a, a, a CNN reporter, I want to, yeah, a reporter of a major American news company. And I were talking, and, and I said something like, uh, oh, the American army would never let Korea do that. And she looked at me, being a good American, and she took the same civics classes we all take. No, no, America's not like that. We don't dictate to people. We don't tell them what to do. And so a few minutes later, we were talking with the governor, and I said to the governor, her question, blah, 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 and he looked at me and said, well, we'd have to ask the American army. The poor woman <laughs> almost fell off her chair, stunned, shocked, terrified, terrified. And here was the major governor, one of the most popular, important governors in Korea, saying we would have to ask the American army about that. Uh, so don't tell me that the Americans don't throw their weight around. Many countries in the world will tell you they do. You pointed out that there were Americans that we have had a, a history of we overthrow governments. We throw out people we don't like, who don't do what we tell them to do. No, we're not like the British, where everybody had to salute the queen, etc. And the government was run straight away, obviously and openly by, the, by London. But don't think the U.S. is not in there telling a lot of people what to do. Look at Vietnam. I mean, we now know that whole thing was a sham. The U.S., there was no invasion. I mean, there was no, what, what did they say? They, they said that the North Vietnamese shot one of our boats. Well, we now know that was not true. Many things like that, you know. Iraq. Americans said, oh, the Iraqis are doing blah, blah, blah. We now know there were no weapons of mass destruction, etc. It was all made up. I mean, we have done many things like that. 
<clears throat> one of the lessons of history is people don't pay attention and they don't learn the lessons of history. And will China be like that? Whoever's in charge, you know, bureaucrats, power, power corrupts, and whatever the China Chinese or anyone has enormous influence, of course, they're going to throw their weight around. And they're going to tell people to do it our way. And people, by the way, many people will want to do it their way. When the British showed up, or, or the French, or the Spanish, or somebody, many South Americans converted to Christianity because, oh, well, the people who have all the money and the guns are all Christians, and if we want to get ahead, we have to be like them, and we have to do as they do. So they all became Christians. Um, because that was what the dominant power practiced. So there's more than one way to throw your weight around and to, and to mm-hmm. control things just by being there and setting an example. You know, when I've traveled around the world a few times and people, you know, many people want to go to America because they see American movies. Oh, my gosh, America in the movies is a fantastic place. I'd want to go there, too. <laughs> <laughs> in the movies, you know, yeah, it always everybody seems does. to end well. <laughs> it's all it's great. The America that you see in the movies on the TV is a phenomenal, wonderful place. Well, that's what everybody sees. But the next question is: go there and find out. And many people are now going there and finding out that maybe things are not what they were in the movies of forty or fifty mm-hmm. years ago. So, if if we're looking towards an Asian century, what elements most excite you about that? Well, it's not so much what excites me as the fact that that's what's happening. Okay. Uh, and I, I, in my life, I have tried to assess what is going on and then make a judgment about what is happening, analyze what is happening, and then act. As an investor, that's a way you can have success. If you can see what's changing, you can make investments, um, whether it's exciting or not, whether you like it or not. Uh, And yes, it is extremely interesting to see what's happening in the world. I mean, to go to Vietnam today and see the difference in what was there 50 years ago or any country or China. I first went to China in 1984 and was terrified. American propaganda all my life had told me that the Chinese were evil, vicious, bloodthirsty, dangerous people. I assumed I'd get shot when I got off the plane in Beijing. It didn't take me long to find out, oh, these people are ambitious, hardworking, save their money, discipline their children, very educated, long history of culture, etc., uh, and they want to succeed. They want their children to be successful and happy. You say that the Communist Party says blah, blah, blah. Yeah, every country, everybody, everywhere I've been, the people want their children to be successful and happy, educated and prosperous. Is that evil? Is that evil to say, oh, I told you before, every governor of every state in America will say, we're going to be successful and prosperous. We're going to have... We're going to be a, we're going to have a new Silicon Valley here in my state. Every country says that. Every country wants that evil to want to be successful and to be prosperous. 
I don't think so. I think it's human nature. No, I think certainly want. not. I think the question is, how do you attain that is where you can begin to ask those questions. Um, well, if you say, okay, we're going to land paratroops in this country so that our people can be successful, uh, some would just say that's probably not the best way. And it's probably not the best way. The best way is education and investment. For anybody that's been proved, I mean, look at Silicon Valley. They were just a nothing. Uh, and now the people that were educated and invested, and now it's extremely successful. They didn't do that with paratroops. They did that with investment and, and education. And most people now say that. Um, or is the Communist Party going to suddenly invade most places? History says they won't. Doesn't mean they cannot. Doesn't mean they don't want to do something foolish. Um, many people have done foolish things throughout history, whether it's Europeans, Americans, whatever they are. Um, and it can develop that way. But the Chinese, my experience in China has been they want their children to be educated, disciplined, and work hard and save their money. There's a huge emphasis on saving and education in China. Will that change? Of course it can change. It may well change. Um, but looking at the world today, I don't see the Chinese Navy in Vancouver. I don't see the Chinese Navy in the Gulf of Mexico. I do see the American Navy all over Asia, floating around, going through various and sundry passages, etc. Um, I mean, that is a difference. Once upon a time, of course, the British Navy was everywhere. If you didn't like it, here comes a gunboat. You see all those guns on that boat? You better be nice to us. Uh, yeah, I, I mean... It, I it don't is, see the Chinese Navy doing that yet. Mm -hmm. It is a very interesting question. I, I think you make a good point that they haven't been as imperialistic in the past, though... Only uh, 70 years ago, they did invade Tibet, and they seem to be doing some saber-rattling with Taiwan. I think that'll be the interesting one to see is in the next however many years, what happens with China and Taiwan? Because that was the same dynamic with Tibet, is they're kind of like, well, you know what, historically, this is ours. It's not the Tibetan kingdom as it was in, in pre-1950. And so that is somewhat of the same rhetoric now with Taiwan is, you know, it's not Taiwan, it's China. And so I think that'll be an interesting first step to see, do, is it this, um, a way to demonstrate power or is it they're, they're going to take Taiwan back? I know you are listening to American propaganda, but over the past several years, the Chinese have been not been saying any of that. It's the American Donald Trump who started shouting that out. Didn't the they just fly planes over Taiwan? Yes, of course. The American Navy's flying through through there too. Uh, yes, everybody. Mr. Trump started screaming and shouting, et cetera, et cetera. So of course. But that was not what was what was happening five years ago. If you go five years ago. The Taiwanese were all over China. The Taiwanese had huge amounts of money invested in China. The Chinese were sending students, many students, to Taiwan to study. There was a huge amount of interchange, interinvestment between both places. 
That's not going on right now. No, now, of course, the American Navy is flying, is floating around and the Chinese are flying airplanes. I'm just saying to you that if you go back and listen, I cannot speak for China, but I do know that they have often said, we'll just wait. I said, we're in no rush. If we wait long enough, this is all going to change. Mm-hmm. They've studied their history. They have a longer history than most of us. So, no, no, this maybe. The Chinese are not doing the right things now, but this did not, in my experience, this is Mr. Trump who started screaming and shouting again and raising, you know, I said before, politicians have to always look for somebody to blame when there are problems. It's easier to blame China. He was also blaming Canada and Mexico yeah. and Germany and Korea and Japan, a lot of other people, but mainly China. Yeah. So... I'm not suggesting that the Chinese have don't have dirty hands here, but don't don't think this has not been a two two sided street. I know you sit there and, and listen to American propaganda and exposed to it all the time, but I have learned and I try to teach my children watch news from many countries. Don't just use one source. Yeah, because well, they all think they're right. They all say they're exactly. right. None of them are right. You have to put it together and figure out the real straight story. Yes, exactly. And I think to clarify, at least my view here is I definitely don't see China as the only uh, malicious or dirty actor. And like, if just from a humanitarian standpoint, you know, people can talk about the Uyghurs and the oppression of Tibetans, but without also recognizing what America has done to African-Americans, Japanese internment camps. There's, it's somewhat quite equal across the board in uh, a large, powerful country's ability to oppress smaller people. And so I I definitely don't mean to only point fingers at China. I was just asking, uh, you know, that, that, that might be an interesting place to keep an eye on is China, Taiwan, to see if your theory plays out, if it maintains the current borders as it is, or if China was to one day be like, no, Taiwan's ours, we're taking it. That would be, for me, uh, an indicator of, okay, they might, maybe it stops at Taiwan, or maybe they have bigger plans. As as history shows us, we can never underestimate a growing, uh, a, a growing global power. Have you heard of the Indian Territory? Where is this? See, in America, <laughs> there was something. They America herded all the herded H E R D E D. It's not a typo. Herded all the Indians and sent them to the Indian Territory. It's now Oklahoma, but until 1907, yeah, I believe this is the Trail of Tears. The Trail of Tears is part of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, but it was, it was not just the Trail of Tears. Yeah. That's the one that got them most publicity, but Washington, D.C. said all the Indians are evil, dirty, dangerous people, and we must lock them up. So they set aside a special part of America. It was known as the Indian. If you look at old maps, you will see the Indian Territory, now called Oklahoma, Uh, but it was where all the Indians were sent there were Indian reservations for different tribes, etc. 
because the Ind- we must protect Americans from the Indians. Yeah, I can go on and on. I'm not. Uh, as far as the Uyghurs, and, and I don't know, I haven't been there in 20 years or something, but the Chinese keep saying, and I don't know, but the Chinese keep saying, okay, come and look. Come and look. You know, the, 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 the Americans keep putting out this propaganda with no evidence or little evidence, uh, little bona fide evidence. And the Chinese keep saying, now, I don't know if they're serious or not, but the Chinese, I do know that many ambassadors have been there. There have been conferences out there. And the Chinese keep saying, okay, you keep saying all of these things. Come and look. Now, I have not been to weaker country as in over... 20 years. So I don't know. But if it's true, have you been there? Do you know? How do you know that, that, that somebody is abusing the Uyghurs? I, I don't know. How do know. you know? No, I, I don't know. You know. Don't know. However, I know if, you don't have if, a clue. No. And, you know, both sides spread stories. I don't think this is about finger pointing of which, which country is worse. Both countries... I think on the topic of learning from history, if we can learn one thing from history is any powerful country is capable of anything. And no country in the past has a clean record. So I really doubt China has had or will have a clean record um, going forward. And and I want to be clear again, I don't think China is a worse player than the U.S. in this story. I, I think... Humans are equal in their capable in, in their um, capacity for great goodness, but also some uh, some less less than good outcomes. Well, don't think that China is not has not made mistakes and is not making mistakes. That's not what I'm saying here. I'm just saying that <clears throat> they say, and many. You see people on the internet all the time saying mm-hmm. what they say what, from Uyghurs, yeah. who are saying what they say, what the West, what America says is not true. Now I have no idea. Maybe the guy's got a gun at his back, and he has to say what America. But I, I do know that there are many people on the other side who are saying something different. Yeah. So likewise about Taiwan. I know that five years ago there were. Thousands, hundreds, tens of thousands of Taiwanese in China, investing, mm-hmm. going to school, etc., and vice versa. I do know that Mr. Trump then started shrieking about the Chinese. I have no idea if that's going to ruin us all or not. I know that for a while, everything, the Chinese and the Taiwanese were living side by side and having a wonderful time. I hope that continues. Yeah. So on that note, you, you've traveled so much throughout Asia in the past and you've lived there for the last about 14 years. In, in this conversation we've been having of, well, these people say one thing, these say another. What are Americans missing when they think about China and Asia? Well, I, I, I'm not going to pick on America here, but I'm going to answer that by saying most people cannot find, if you go to Hungary, they can't find Korea on a map. If you go to Brazil, they can't find 
Taiwan on a map. Most people know very, very little about the rest of the world. They may get a few snippets on TV or the movies or from their politicians, and that's all they know, and that's what they accept. And if the, poly, if the TV says those people are evil, vicious people, people say, yeah, well, they're evil, vicious people. And you say, how do they know? Because the television. I saw it on television. I saw it on the Internet. Uh, my president said that. Uh, and there is the main problem. I have learned that if people just traveled, the world would be a much better place. I, I went around the world. Every time I went someplace, they would say, well, where have you come from? I said, I came from there. Oh, my God, those are evil. Those are very dangerous people. I'm surprised you're alive. How could you possibly survive? And then they say, where are you going next? I said, I'm going there. Oh, you're <laughs> going to get killed. You don't have a hope. They're dirty, horrible. They smell bad. Very, very dangerous people. And it's all because they didn't know. They don't know anything about them. So they, it's easy to think that they're dangerous and somebody told them they're dangerous. And maybe they were once upon a time. But we don't know about it. I have also learned that if you go there and you eat and drink and dance and sing, they say, these are wonderful people. Oh, my gosh, what wonderful people. So what we don't know is we don't know. Mm -hmm. and, we don't, and we're afraid to find out. We don't want to find out. It's easier to live with do, that simple view you have often. And if you go someplace... It's easier to take a tour and go see the Eiffel Tower and the Cathedral of Notre Dame and you have some coffee and maybe a croissant and you say, ah, these are nice people. But you can also go to France and come away thinking, oh, God, these are dangerous, horrible people. You know, so it, the problem is we don't know. Most of us do not know and do not find out and are afraid to find out. Uh, if 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 there were a requirement that everybody has to spend two years outside of your own country, anywhere you want to go, the world would be a much safer and more peaceful and more prosperous place. Or even your own county in, in some instances. You pick any place. <laughs> you know, uh, most Americans don't know Koreans use chopsticks. They know they that North Korea is evil and we should go to war. They don't know why. They don't know anything. Um, except that somebody says, shoot them, shoot them, shoot them. Now, don't, don't, don't get me wrong. I'm not suggesting that there are bad politicians and evil people in the world. But you ask what Americans are missing and what we mm -hmm. don't know. We don't know much of anything. Except some bureaucrat in Washington who's trying to keep his job and become more powerful says, blah, blah, blah. And we believe it. And so you, you perhaps alluded to it a bit earlier when you're speaking about American movies, but flipping that around, what, in your view, do perhaps Asians in general or Chinese, what are they missing when they think about America? Same thing. All they know about America is they've seen movies. You know, they, maybe they know Elvis Presley. I'm, I'm using a data just to, yeah, be, no, to it, make it, the point. 
I remember being there and people asking me if I knew Kobe Bryant. Every day I got asked, do you know Kobe? <laughs> no, I don't well, know Kobe. All right. <laughs> all right. Well, that's a, that's a better, a more up-to-date example. Yes. That's the way they, they don't know. I said before, I said most people don't know anything about foreign nations, foreign people, foreign anything, except a few snippets. Maybe they know Donald Duck. Ha! They know Disneyland. <laughs> you know, maybe they all want to go to Disneyland with their children. Uh, I don't think we're going to have a war of Walt Disney invading anybody. But that does not mean we can't have a war because people don't know anything about the other people, culture, anything. Yeah. I sure hope not. Listen, if you if Americans said, ah, but American culture. Now, maybe you should say, okay, what is American culture? Because the definition of American culture in Wyoming is enormously different from American culture in Miami. Not, they wouldn't even know what you're talking about. Yeah, maybe we all watch the NBA. Maybe we all know Kobe Bryant. But <laughs> come on. Come on, you know, you go to New York City and then you go to Alaska. We're all Americans. Yeah. But. So we're, we're, we're wrapping up here. I'd like to ask a nuts and bolts question here for you. If, if again, we're, we're speculating here, but if we're moving into a Chinese century, from a, a monetary and fiscal perspective, does, in your view, does China look well-positioned, strong, or do they look weak? They could do a bit better. Well, we can all do a bit better. Well, yeah, um, <laughs> certainly. <laughs> you know, China's making mistakes. They're going to be bankrupt, you know, 15 years ago. China, in 2008, when the world had an economic problem, China had a lot of money saved for a rainy day and it started raining and they started spending it and helped save the world. They had very little debt. Now the Chinese have debt. They have built a lot of debt in the last 20 years. You're going to see Chinese bankruptcies coming in the next few years. And Beijing has said, we'll let people go bankrupt. Back to what I said before, London, Washington, we won't let people go bankrupt. We say, no, no, no. China says they're going to let people go bankrupt. They're going to have problems. Every country which develops has problems. You go back and read about the British in the 19th century and you'd be appalled. And yet they became the most successful country in the 19th century. They took over a few countries, including Canada. No, they already had Canada, uh, but but others. So, yes, there are going to be problems in China as they develop. They don't have a convertible currency now, which is absurd. Uh, they are closing off the Internet, which is absurd. I mean, I don't know why Beijing is afraid of the Internet. The Internet has built some powerful success stories, Tencent. Uh, Baidu, Alibaba, uh, why they're closing it off to some extent, I don't know. I don't think they have anything to be afraid of. I think they only can gain from opening up. But power corrupts. It's always corrupted. And it is corrupting in China. They are building debt now. Debt is easy. Everybody likes debt. But nobody would lend money to the to Mao Zedong. But now the Chinese have debt, too. So you're going to see problems developing. Uh, 
in China going forward. Will will Beijing let people go bankrupt? I don't know if everybody's they don't they don't know either. They don't have experience. They haven't had this. You know, their history of the past hundred years more is such that they haven't had people calling up saying, you must save me, you must save me, like <laughs> Washington does. Yeah. Uh, so, so we will see. Uh, will that lead to belligerence and blaming problems on foreigners? So far, China, and I've heard some of these guys speak, so far these guys have been more restrained. You know, Trump was hitting them in the face every day. Mm-hmm. And for the most part, they were restrained. They didn't hit back. Their answers were somewhat muted. Uh, they have started being more responsive, unfortunately, because this means that raises more emotions there. And I mean, now maybe they don't say, do you know Kobe? Now maybe they say, do you know Trump? <laughs> you know, yeah. Because they know more, they know more about Trump now, unfortunately, than they know about Mickey Mouse or Kobe <laughs> or some true. of the other things. Some of the other things, uh, and animosity raises, rises as, as is raised by politicians. Um, History is pretty clear, you know. Throughout the the nineteenth century, the U.S. and Britain were terrible enemies. There were possibilities of war several times. Uh, but then in the First World War, America and Britain were fast allies, et cetera, et cetera. Fought together, loved each other, et cetera. But if you go back throughout the most of the 19th century, the British were persona non grata, they were horrible people, et cetera. Even after the Second World War, there was a chance that Britain and America would go to war with each other because America kept telling the Brits what to do with their empire. And the Brits didn't like it. I mean, fortunately, you know, nobody went to war. But there was great animosity between Washington and London. Now, of course, if you go, what's, if you go to London now, the prime minister was, oh, the special relationship between Britain and America always has been. Ah, he hasn't read his history either. Uh, so, so I mean, you'd be very careful of what you read on the internet and what you hear, even from supposed fast friends and allies. Do so, you, I try to teach my daughters: do your own research. Mm-hmm. So, a last quick question, um, although. I'm sure you could write a book on this, is the things you mentioned, China yet to open up their currency, they're shutting down the internet. It's it's a very particular brand of authoritarian government in China. So looking forward, if if we're going to see an Asian century, would they do well to have a, a cleaning out and a new political structure? Or is this the one to carry them for the next century with just some minor tweaks? Well, they, they call themselves communists. But I assure you, California is more communist than China is. Yeah. <laughs> the Chinese are fabulous capitalists. They may be the best capitalists in the world right now. No, of course, they say they're communists. Well, Rome says they're Catholic, too. You've been to Rome? I wouldn't <laughs> consider the, the city of Rome as some kind of wonderful Catholic paradise. Um, the Chinese... 
now they say we are communists with Chinese characteristics. That means we want to get rich. We want to succeed. Um, I don't know how they're going to evolve. Let's assume that there were a revolution. They're not going to bring Mao Zedong back. Oh, my gosh. Every Chinese, young or old, wants to be successful and have prosperity. And they want to see Kobe Bryant. They want to go see the NBA. They want to see America. They want to see the world. One of the great growth industries of the 21st century is going to be Chinese tourism. They haven't been able to travel for, for many decades for many reasons. Now it's easier to get a passport. It's easier to take money for, to go out of the country to travel if you want to. They want to see the world. And, and much of the world wants to see them too. I hope it all happens. Less chance of war. Um, what kind of country will it evolve? The one thing I do know is Mao Zedong is not coming back. It's too late now. It's too late. These guys in Beijing can become stricter, more authoritarian. I mean, that's happening in Washington, too. Uh, that's happening everywhere, unfortunately. Not everywhere, but power does corrupt. This history is very clear. And America's becoming less and less open and less and less free. I mean, I constantly hear from people and complaints. I guess you must hear it, too. We're no longer as free and open as we used to be, and we're not. Uh, China's going that way, too. If and when the current guy is gone, I presume he'll die someday. Whatever happens, Mao Zedong is not coming back. Nobody wants to be a communist anymore. Nobody even wants to. If you want to be a socialist, you want to be a rich socialist now. Everywhere <laughs> in the world. I have traveled the world. And I saw the dramatic changes after the Berlin Wall fell. Even if you want to be a socialist, you want, your, you want to be a rich socialist and you want your children to be successful and prosperous. So Mao Zedong is not coming back. Don't worry. I hope Deng Xiaoping comes back, but we'll have to see going forward mm -hmm. as China opens. I don't, I don't think China is going to be invading Argentina or Poland or any other countries. Does not mean that war won't break out. Shooting war won't break out. It often has throughout history, especially when things go wrong economically. But we will see. Well, Jim, thank you so much for this conversation. Thanks for letting me press you, and thanks for pressing back. And um, how can folks uh, keep up with your work? Or I know that you've got a website and some books out. Where where could folks find you if they want to? No, I've, yeah, I've written some books. If they want to buy them, I, by all means. Uh, my most recent book, I have, <laughs> I have three number one bestsellers in Japan, in Japanese. I haven't read them myself. That's three more than me. I know what they're saying. Well, I, I know what they're supposed to say, but I don't read Japanese, so who knows? They've been <laughs> translated into Korean, they've been translated into Chinese. You know, I, but I, you know, nobody watching this show or your show will be able to read them. Um, I haven't written a book which has been published in English in a while. Uh, I mean, I don't have anything to sell. I'm just a simple person. I don't have a job. I don't have anything to sell. I'm not looking. 
I don't have anything to sell. You can buy my Japanese books, by all means. But I haven't read them myself. <laughs> well, if you're working in Japanese, hopefully one day. Well, I've seen them. I've autographed some of them. I have no idea what they say. <laughs> I know what I said, but I don't know, know how to congratulate them. I mean, how to translate them. So I don't know yeah. what they say. Oh, that's too hilarious. Well, Jim, thank you so much. Um, you have a good rest of the day over there in Singapore. Very good. It's, it's almost bedtime for you, so <laughs> yeah. go, to, go to the disco and then go home and go to bed. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> it's all those open discos. Good night. Bye. Thanks for watching to the very end. We really appreciate it. If you want to see more content, like, subscribe, tag the notification bell, rate and review for on podcasts, and also let us know in the comments below who you'd like us to interview next. We read all of them, and we'd love to hear some feedback. So see you next week.